Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 346th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that. To be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win! 54 to 53! North Carolina did it! North Carolina wins the championship! With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! They're on way to win it! Where's he? Five! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out foul. of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot, short rebounded. May, it's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national dadgum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys here to recap Carolina's 75-71 win over Miami where R.J. Davis had a historic performance and all but wrapped up ACC Player of the Year honors uh, and, and at least solidified himself on numerous All-American teams. So we're going to talk about that. We'll take a look at the box score. You'll hear from Hubert Davis, and we'll get some more thoughts and, and takeaways. And what I think is going to be maybe the hardest win that we talk about uh, so far this season because on the surface, you know, what R.J. Davis did last night was nothing short of historic. New career high, set a new Smith Center record with 42 points, was 14 of 22 from the field, was 7-11 from behind the three-point line. Um, he surpassed Tyler Hansborough's previous record when he scored 40 against Georgia Tech. Um, he did that as a freshman in 2006. It's the most points scored by a Tar Heel since Shaman Williams scored 42 back in 1998. And the most recent Tar Heel to score more than 42 was Charlie Scott, who did so in 1970 uh, when he scored 43 points. And for someone that loves R.J. Davis and, and, and looks at him and says, that's my favorite player on this team, very, very happy for the success that he had individually, um, but collectively, this 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 wasn't a great performance. Um, this was a, a rather underwhelming performance from Carolina on both ends, um, and they they almost lost a game at home 
that would have qualified as a seed line loss, would have taken Carolina off the two line, um, would have made it harder for them to win an outright ACC regular season title. And um, I think even in a win, there's a lot here that needs to, um, to be unpacked because Carolina certainly did not play the way that we expected them to going in to that game last night. No, and yeah, the thing was is that there were expectations that were heightened because of the fact that the team on the other side did not have their best player and arguably their third best player. So when you have those two guys out of the lineup, two of the better scorers amongst guards in the ACC, you'd expect this to be a pretty strong performance at home from Carolina. And the thing is is that there were so many moments in this game where Carolina could have grabbed the lead and really run away with this one. And it felt like there were multiple times where they were going to do that, especially late in that second half. And somehow, every single time, Bensley Joseph would hit a shot and Miami would start rolling again and get themselves back into the game. The thing was is that I don't even know how frustrated we would be if they hit a shot, they cut the lead to seven, and then Carolina keeps it there. The problem is, is that, I mean, you could argue that Carolina should have should have lost this game with the way that they played down the stretch, with the fact that they turned it over the way that they did against the press, the way that this team could not knock down a free throw to save their life down the stretch until Jalen Withers steps to the free throw line and knocks down two huge ones. It, it, it's just, this, this is... A problem that we've seen with Carolina, and it's been there most of the year, but I think when they were winning early on in conference play, we kind of pushed it off and we said they're still winning games by double digits, even though there are times where they're not able to put teams away. The back half of this conference schedule, it is becoming very obvious that this is a major issue for this team because I'm going to tell you right now, if this was an NCAA tournament game last night, they lose the game. Because teams that make the NCAA tournament can probably overcome that deficit and take the lead late, as opposed to a team in Miami that made a lot of their own mistakes down the stretch that helped Carolina to hold on to it. So this is one of those games that, I get it, you had the quick turnaround, we talked about it, but we thought, especially coming off the week off, that this team would have enough energy to carry them through this game, especially against a shorthanded Miami team, and to be able to potentially pull away and win comfortably. But that just isn't what this team is, man. And that that's one thing that has me nervous about where this team is going to be come March because every game is going to be a nail-biter. Well, and this is something that I pointed out back in January and, and nobody wanted to hear it. This team didn't close people out in January from an offensive standpoint. You were finishing in the game defensively, but you weren't you weren't making shots. You were making free throws, which matter and it helps. But in this game, you didn't make a field goal the last four seventeen of the ball game. I mean, so many times recently. And the thing is, I will say this: they had moments like that where they weren't knocking down field goals in the first half of conference play. The biggest problem, though, that we've noticed a lot here recently are the turnovers. That has been, you didn't see that earlier in the season. They didn't turn the ball over a lot down the stretch of games. They did a good job. They just weren't able to make shots, and they were focused on getting to the foul line. Now, the problem is you're not making shots, but you're also giving them not just turnovers, but live ball turnovers that are creating opportunities for the opponent to capitalize. 
at Miami, you didn't make a field goal the last four minutes and seven seconds. Saturday at Virginia, you went almost nine minutes of game action without making a field goal. You go back to the Georgia Tech game. You made one field goal the last three and a half minutes, and that was an R.J. Davis run out on a long missed three-point shot. Like, it was mainly right place, right time was how you manufactured a bucket. And so, um, you know, I I think before Carolina made it a 13-point game, I think you were – like, I had come to terms – we're going to win this game because we're better and we're deeper. It's not going to be pretty because Miami just wouldn't go away. you got to give them credit. They played their tails off. Jim Laranega knows how to play against Carolina, knows how to get his team ready, challenged him with no Nigel Pack, challenged him with no Wooga Poplar. Uh, Bensley Joseph was sensational. Uh, was, was sensational. Uh, George was fantastic. Um, North Chad O'Meer was really, really good as well. Like Those guys stepped up. And gave everything they had to for for their, for Miami to have a chance to win, but when when Davis goes on the barrage that put him in a position to to set the record, and you blow the game to a thirteen point margin with with four to play, the game shouldn't be seventy two seventy after it being seventy two fifty nine, and you get hit with an eleven nothing run. You've seen you've seen full court pressure at times this season. So it shouldn't have come as a surprise to you. And what's more concerning is it's Carolina's veteran players making the mistakes and, and, and committing the turnovers, like Harrison Ingram. Maybe he shouldn't be the one trying to advance the ball, but you don't get the ball across the t- uh, the timeline in 10 seconds. You travel. The the turnover that led to the three on the inbounds or whatever – what are what's what are we doing? Way too many of those last night too. I mean, so many entry passes like that too. Just throwing it into uh, up in the air into the ether, praying that it gets to whoever they're trying to send it to inside, or in that case, just trying to throw it. I, who I don't even remember who it was. Was it RJ or Cadeau trying to throw it to Cormac Ryan and just lobbing it into the air? It's just so many confusing plays and so I will say this too last few games passing is the passing has not been great it's it's not where it was earlier in the season you're starting to see a lot more mistakes and and passes that and and credit to some of the opponents they've done a good job of preventing those passes inside to Armando Baycott but you can see there are times where this team is just panicking when they are passing the ball yeah it, it wasn't you know a film that's it's not going to be a fun film. And one thing that um, I loved, and if you're a Carolina fan and you're watching your head coach grow up before before our eyes, um, Hubert Davis wasn't happy. Wasn't happy at halftime with his team up five, and he wasn't happy in the postgame after his team won the game and in a game where his best player put on a historic performance. Like The very first thing he said to Jones Angel uh, when he met with him on the Tar Heel Sports Network I can't wait to watch this film on Wednesday with the team. And and let's just be honest, folks. He doesn't say that last year. He would have been, I'm so proud, you know, very happy that we got the win, big-time win. His first year, most definitely, would have never been negative after a win. And that's a little bit of Roy Williams, I think, in him coming out, where there would be games where Carolina would win, and, and and you wouldn't thought Carolina won by the demeanor that that 
the head coach displayed. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. I I, I stress enjoying winning um, because it's it, it's not guaranteed. We've learned that the last couple of years that we're not we're not gifted a 30 win season every every year. You gotta warn. You gotta work for it. You gotta earn it. But it is okay to not be thrilled with the way that your team played despite winning when it's March 27th or February 27th because you want to be playing on March 27th. And the way that Carolina played last night doesn't translate to them playing deep into either the ACC tournament, let alone the NCAA tournament. Let's take a look at the box score. Um, Carolina shot 44% from the field. They were 27 of 61. On the flip side, they held Miami to just 39% shooting. They were 24 of 61. Big reason why uh, Miami was in the game was they were 14 of 30 from behind the three-point line. It's 47%. And, look, some of it were Joseph and George making shots. A lot of it that connect, you know, the, the way Carolina was so connected on Saturday and contested so many perimeter shots for Virginia wasn't the case. Schubert said it going into halftime. We're not making them feel us. Um, and that was, you know, something that was a constant throughout. On the flip side, Carolina was 9 of 26 from 3. You like the 9 makes. The 26 attempts, far too many. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Free throw line, Carolina got there 21 times, but 12 of 21, just 57% from the field. Not many times you win a game when you leave that many points at the foul line. Miami, 9 of 13 for a nice 69%. You mentioned the turnovers. 12 turnovers for Carolina led to 21 Miami points. 21. So virtually every turnover led to points for Miami. On the flip side, you forced 14 turnovers, but you only scored 13 points off of them, not nearly as effective as the Hurricanes were. Carolina won the rebounding margin for the 17th straight time, 38-35. to They did get out rebound on the defensive glass, 29-28 but did win the offensive glass 10-6, to which led to them uh, scoring 16 second-chance points. They had a 16-3 to margin over Miami in that category. 7-2 to bench points, Carolina. Points in the paint, 36-18. to And that's with Armando Baycott taking four shots. So you were, you were getting offense from other people by putting the ball in the basket and going inside. Um, fast break points eight to seven in favor of Carolina. Blocks three to one in favor of Carolina. Steals ten to eight in favor of Carolina. And the Heels assisted on thirteen of their twenty-seven made baskets. Miami with eleven assists on their twenty-four made baskets. And Carolina led for thirty-two minutes and forty-four seconds. Well, we referenced uh, Hubert Davis and some of that audio and the, some of his messaging in the post game, but. He did talk after the game and said that R.J. Davis, he put the team on the on his back. What he did tonight, I know he, he hadn't scored 42 points, but the type of performance that he had tonight, he's been having all season. And you know, he put the team on his back. It wasn't just uh, his points. I thought he was great defensively, took care of the basketball, distributed, uh, rebound, boxed out. And, you know, we need, needed every bit of his 42 tonight. He was fantastic. I told him after the game that uh, I've seen another a number of performances here at Carolina and also in the NBA. Very few have I seen um, the type of performance that he had tonight. I was really proud of him. This performance from RJ comes off a 1-14 of 14 performance at Virginia. 
did score 12 points because he was 9 of 10 from the foul line. But after what Wake Forest did over the weekend and the way Hunter Salas played in the win over Duke and he's played, people were starting to stir up maybe maybe that the ACC Player of the Year race isn't over. <laughs> um, guys, it was, it was over before last night. And if, if last night doesn't end it, it, uh, it, it, it last night ended it. Oh, last night, last night a race a race was deemed not over, and it's the national player of the year race. That's the one that ain't over just yet. Yeah, and look, I, so. I, I think it's going to be really hard for him to be the national player of the year just because of how good, how dominant, how consistent Zach Eady has been. But if this carries over down the stretch and he leads Carolina to a regular season title – probably got to play well and you probably got to beat Duke to really put yourself in that conversation but um this is what he's been capable of doing since he got here but for 3 years he had to share the backcourt had to share the spotlight with the guard that thought he was capable of doing that and outside of a tournament run wasn't capable of doing that and then that's that's not me taking a shot at Caleb Love, because um, Love has been fantastic for Arizona. He leads the Pac-12 in road scoring. That's how good he's been for the Wildcats, and he's going to be a big reason why they're going to be a trendy pick to make the Final Four. But some guys just have it and the ability to will their teams to victory. You saw it in all four of his years here where he could will Carolina to wins and comebacks and do a lot of great things. And I thought last night was a great culmination of what's been an outstanding four-year career for him. Um, And it was cool to hear him have an arena of 21,000 fans chant his name because he's, he's, he's worthy. He's worthy of the love. He's worthy of the praise. He's worthy of the attention because at the end of the day, He's not worried about his numbers. The guy, the guy wants to win, and he he does what he did last night, and he's done what he's done over the course of four years, not for himself, but because he wants to help North Carolina basketball win. And I'm just glad that this performance wasn't ruined by a, a by a loss that would have been deemed inexcusable. Yeah, I mean, especially because uh, I mean, even if. And I don't remember if he was the one that turned it over. I don't think he was. I think it was Elliot Cadeau. But, like, man, he did everything that he needed to do, man. This was the best performance of his career statistically and probably just from watching the game. I mean, some of the shots that he was hitting were, I mean, classic R.J. Davis shots that we've seen in the last year and a half. And this guy, I mean, I've said it. I don't know how many guys Carolina has had even in recent memory that can create their own shot as well as RJ Davis does as consistently as he does because you get you, you saw the ability at times from Cole Anthony to be able to do that but this it, it's what makes me think and I've, I've I've been pushing it for a while now that I think somebody at some point is going to have to give this dude a shot in the NBA because just the way that he can create his own shot and Score. I mean, especially if he gets into a rhythm, it is almost impossible to to uh, to shut this guy down. It's it's just when he takes over games, it's you see it. 
opponents just don't have anything for him because he he does that step back and can get that shot off so quickly. And we saw it last night. I mean, yeah, for it to come after the, the game after he goes one of 14 from the field. Like, I was thinking that there would be a bounce back. I think we all did. But I don't know if anybody saw this type of performance coming. I mean, for him to set the Smith Center record in this game was amazing. But yeah, you, you then look at the re- at the rest of the team, and it's like, this is what happens when you basically just put it all on one guy. And look, guys were getting good looks. I, I thought especially in the first half, Cormac Ryan and Harrison Ingram had good looks at the basket, but the shots just were not falling for them. But that's the concern, man. RJ is amazing. He is one of the most entertaining players that I have ever watched at Carolina. Uh, I mean, he's he's definitely up there as as one of my favorites. I mean, I I don't know, especially you know when we were sitting here two years ago before he really started to take over at the end of last year. If I thought that anybody from that twenty, uh, you know, from from the twenty twenty team or any of those types of guys would really be in the conversation for one of the most entertaining players that I've ever watched at Carolina. But this guy has certainly done it. But the thing is, is that he's going to need more help around him. It can't just be him doing everything. Because you saw last night, when you get in that type of scenario, it's what can lead you to games that are a little bit closer than they probably should have been. Stat of the game, I went second chance points. Carolina was plus 13 in that margin. Um, they got 10 offensive rebounds that put them in a position to get those second-chance points. Um, and I thought it was something that, you know, if Carolina doesn't get those offensive rebounds on those missed free throws, who knows how this game ends up. Um, it was very Oregon-esque from the 2017 Final Four where Carolina couldn't put the game away at the foul line. But thank God for offensive rebounding. And and thank God that we stress offensive rebounding. And, you know, you got to give – um, Jalen Withers a ton of credit to to be in the game in that situation, um, and to be able to get that the, those that, that rebound and knock down those two free throws after Armando Baycott couldn't and Seth Trimble couldn't speaks a lot of volumes about him. Um, and so second chance points I felt like for me were the stat of the game. Well, there's a surface look at Carolina's win over Miami. Um, you know I do apologize that we're maybe not as ecstatic as we usually are after wins, but. When you win a game like that, when you play like that, at this time of the year, um, this is kind of the result you're going to get while Carolina is in the midst of an ACC regular season title race. We're, we're still relieved that the team won the game. Like we, it, Part of the mindset that you have to take at this point is a win is a win. But it, it was really just the way – Like it, you're, you're with me on this, right? If the game stays within six points the majority of the way – and it's just a back-and-forth affair, and they win by two. We're not at the point where we're at today. It's the fact that you were up 13. You handed them multiple turnovers. You missed shots at the line. You have to look into how the game unfolded as well. Oh, you know, We love the fact that they were able to hold on and win, but it's frustrating when you feel like you're in a position of control and you give it up a couple of different times in this game. Yeah, coming up next, we'll talk more about that. But first, Anthony has to tell you the latest message, latest offer 
from Autograph. That's right. And guys, you want to get rewarded for listening to our show? The team at Autograph, co-founded by Tom Brady, is redefining the fan experience by letting users earn points for the acts of fandom that they take every day, like listening to the show. The Autograph fandom app gives you access to your favorite UNC content all in one place and offers rewards like tickets, exclusive merchandise, and more. Speaking of tickets, they have their new drop that's getting ready to come out. Uh, you guys do not want to miss this. It's coming up on Wednesday, uh, February 28th, so tomorrow at 3 o'clock p.m. The drop goes live on the app during that time. The reward is limited to 50 claims. The 50 users that claim the reward will be entered into a drawing to win access to purchase. At 3.30, an email will be sent to the user subset from Drop announcing the live stream link revealing who wins the right to purchase the game tickets. Then at 6 p.m., just head over, uh, click on that link, and fans can watch the live stream to see who wins the right to purchase the tickets. Winners will receive email notification. I have 24 hours to confirm purchase via support email. The ticket packages that they will be giving away, three ticket packages, $32. Uh, you you get two seats, so $16 a seat for the game on Saturday against the NC State Wolfpack. Uh, you can't really beat that, and honestly, what do you have to lose, guys? All you got to do is go over, sign up, uh, get the app on the Apple App Store, search for Autograph Fandom Rewarded, download it for free today, use the referral code HEELTOUGH, and then go in there and make sure that you enter for a chance to to win those discounted tickets. Uh, the link and code to uh, the Autograph app will be in our podcast description as well for you guys to check out. So what a great offer from Autograph for you, uh, your chance to check out the next game. All right, let's get back into Carolina's win over Miami. We, we, we've talked extensively about RJ and what he did what he accomplished, um, as I mentioned, I think it, it wrapped up for him the ACC Player of the Year, and it puts it puts him back in the running um, to be the National Player of the Year. Although I do think when it's all said and done, Edie will uh, repeat uh, with that honor. the The biggest thing, the, the the biggest frustration is a Carolina didn't close the game out, but b a big reason why the game plan to me didn't make did not make sense. Um, I don't understand how Armando Baycott takes four shots. I don't. Um, and, and look, I, I I know that Cormac Ryan had found his rhythm. Was felt like he was coming out of a shooting slump. Last night was probably just a regression to the mean because he was shooting over fifty percent from three on a high volume of shots. But he was 3 of 13 from the field, 1 of 9 from the three-point line. Harrison Ingram hasn't been, um, you know, uh, impactful offensive player since the Duke game. Yep. 3 of 13, 1 of 5 from three. Those guys are taking four more shots than, or, or four times as many shots as your best in, in interior player. And, look, part of it, I think Carolina tried to give him the ball. Um they need to be retaught how to get the ball inside when you're being fronted. Oh, their their entry passes were horrendous. I, I, there's just no way around it. Um, and I don't know if this if this is something where Armando's got to bark and say, "Give me the ball." 
I didn't think they they looked for him nearly as as early and as often as they should. But you can't you can't say the ACC runs through me after you put together twenty five ten and five against Duke. Make that comment while having never won an ACC regular season title and be a non-factor in games. And last night, offensively, he was a non-factor. Like, you appreciate the 12 rebounds, but you expect that from him because he's the most decorated rebounder in the history of the program. But when you look at uh, uh, giving RJ help and making the game easier for him and his teammates, it starts with getting him the ball, and I come away once again mystified why that wasn't the game plan from the on from 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 the onset. Carolina came out shooting perimeter shots. They never really made an adjustment at halftime. And had Carolina lost the game, this would have been a big reason why. Because you got Norchad O'Meara in foul trouble. Now you know you you yep. you had situations where it should have been like Virginia Tech 2.0, where you're giving him the ball and he's doing whatever he wants. That wasn't the case, and I don't know why. Well, they 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 did try to feed it inside to him even after Omir got in foul trouble. And credit to Omir, still stayed aggressive. And the other thing was is that every time they would try to send an entry pass inside, I mean Miami clearly was was focused on limit them getting the ball inside to him. Any ch- any time that you see a ball is going inside to him, immediately come over and double. And with the way that Carolina was attempting to pass, you mentioned it. The fact that they were getting that Armando was getting fronted, they they had no idea. So they would throw these lob passes up every time there were two, three Miami Hurricanes around him, as opposed to just Armando trying to come away with the ball on that entry pass inside. So that's the frustrating part because, and we've seen this from him at times this year, and and I get it to a certain extent because when you're working in the first half to get position inside. And even when you have position, they're not giving you the ball or they're just they're giving you passes that it's impossible for you to get to. You're going to get frustrated at some point and say, well, what's the point of busting my ass to get position in the low post if they're not going to put the ball inside to me? So I, I think that's definitely an element of it. But I think this was one where Omir kind of took it to him uh, especially, you know, early in the game. I think, you know, part of it, too, was that Armando had to exhaust a lot on the defensive end of the floor, trying to help prevent the dribble drive to the rim and then trying to step out and stay with Omir, who was doing a great job of stretching the floor last night. I mean, he hits three threes. That's, uh, you know, a rarity from him. He has the ability to shoot from the outside, but it's rare that you see him take as many as he did, let alone make as many. So, I don't know. I, I think I, I get it, and there's there's probably some reasons to be frustrated with Armando, but at some point, you have to be able to get the ball inside to him, and I thought just overall, the mindset was not there for this team to try to attack the rim, regardless of if it was with their big man or their guards. They, they Again, we've seen it way too many times here recently. Early in the game, they settled into a rhythm of, hey, we're getting looks from the outside. And, I mean, this game more than any. I mean, it felt like there was a stretch in that first half where every shot that they put up was a three-pointer. It just, I don't understand why that became the game plan. Like, Cormac Ryan, yeah, you're you're hot from beyond the arc here in these last few games. 
But that doesn't mean that you should that that should become your primary offense because as we saw in the snap of a finger, you can go cold. And you know the other thing that I wonder, you know, or uh, RJ was feeling it last night, and you, you, we heard we've heard before from Armando that mindset from him of hey RJ's cooking, let him go to work. Was that the same thing that he was feeling last night? Because you can't you can't have that mindset, and I feel like. As I said just a, uh, a little bit ago, the team as a whole had that mindset. RJ's on fire, so we're going to let him do his thing. And we're just going to kind of throw the opportunities, you know, throw up the opportunities that come our way. But we're not really going to kill ourselves trying to get open because we know, hey, he's a guy that if he if we need a shot, He's going to find a way to create and make one. Yeah, I mean, look, it's easy to get caught up in in the moment when someone's doing something historic. And last night was historic for RJ. And I mean, I mean, he hit one from the logo where for where the 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 point of the the state from if you, Murphy. You know, he hits one from there. He hit one from the Roy Williams signage right in front of the bench. Like he wasn't just hitting threes; he was hitting NBA threes. But and, and I I don't know if this is necessary. I don't want you to criticize Hubert Davis. We don't call timeouts because you get eight free ones a, uh, a game. You've got three with you know you have three timeouts at the under four minute mark. Use one of them and just reset reset the team. I think part of it is you've got a, a young freshman point guard that's still that's still learning, that's still growing. That you're putting the ball in his hands and, and wanting him to to facilitate and run the offense, and I'm not anti Elliot Cadeau. I think he's a big reason why this team has done what they've what what they've done. But he's still not what Kendall Marshall was to to what what Kendall Marshall's team was when he was a freshman because he kept you got you got people organized. He got the ball where they wanted the ball, and Carolina was, was closing games out by putting the ball in the basket. Um, and I think this is something that, like, has this been going on for two months where Carolina hits a wall in virtually every game and they don't put the game away? I mean, it almost happened in the Duke game. Yep. You know, like Carolina was – and and because Carolina was pushing, they were running, they were scoring, and there's something there to where it just it just stops – and, you know, they did this two weeks ago at Miami, and I thought it was Hubert Davis's fault because he, he, he called off the dogs, and he told them, we're going to quit playing. Last night wasn't really the case because you weren't able to, and so last night was just a lack of execution. And if- well, the offense got slowed down because you, I mean, every, everything changed when you couldn't get the ball across half court and you took a 10-second violation. That is where everything changed, and we've pointed to moments like that before with this team. Missed layups, missed dunks with this team, turnovers that just start a chain of teams being able to reel off, and it's gotten more common as the year's gone along. Teams being able to reel off these double-digit point runs, and all of a sudden, hey, they're back in the game. Now the pressure's on us. And, I mean, again, you you have to credit these guys for fighting through it and finding a way to win these games. Credit has to be given to Harrison Ingram for fighting for and, and coming up with a 
rebound on the missed free throw. Jalen Withers doing the exact same thing and then going and making plays at the free throw line. But make it easy on yourself. Why do you have to make everything so stressful? And it feels like that has been the way this team has played at times, through really throughout the last three years. But this year, it felt like early in the season. It's going to be different with this group. And as we've gone down the stretch of the year, it feels like they're able to close out a lot more tough games than the teams were in the past. But it's still, it, it's, it feels like this should be a team that's running away from opponents like this. Well, the, the thing that is encouraging is they don't quit playing through the bad stretches. Right. Um, and they're mentally tough to, to play through it. Um, part of that's because they're old. Part of that's experience. Part of that's because they've been through a lot of crap. They've played a lot of they've played a lot of bad basketball. Um, it's why we we've said that determining the core of or the legacy of this core and this group of, of Baycott and, and RJ really hangs in what they do in this tournament. Um, they go deep. You think a lot more positively. If, if this thing is a quick exit, it's going to be as uneven and complicated of legacies to define. So you like to see that you're playing hard and you're playing through it. Um, they're not quitting. They're not giving in. Uh, can I throw one one question out to you? Because I got asked this question earlier today. Did you late in the game when they started struggling against the press? Somebody said to me that they should have put Seth Trimble on the court and used three guards. My question to that person was, who are you taking off the floor in that scenario? Because are you taking Cormac Ryan, one of your best free throw shooters, off the floor in case they start to try to extend the game? No, you take Cadeau off the court. And yes. But then but then but the thing is, then you do not have the three guards. They were saying that you need three primary ball handlers on the floor, which I disagreed with. I'm like, look, I'm not taking Harrison Ingram off the floor because I mean, what? So, so you're going with basically a four guard lineup around Baycott? I would. Play, I didn't like that. I would play Davis, Ryan, Trimble, Ingram, Baycott. Yes. Yeah. No, but that's what they. That's not what they were saying to me. Your scenario. I yeah, I could see that, especially when you started realizing, okay, Cadeau's having trouble here. Cadeau should not be on the floor in a four minute game that is tight. He's a liability offensively. And that's 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 okay. I mean, his passing is just that's the thing and and I mean I look, I love the what what Seth Trimble has brought to the table, but is he a guy that's that's really giving you a ton? I mean, I guess defensively you would say he gives you so much more than Cadeau does that maybe that's what is the ultimate well, determining factor. And but you have more size, he's bigger. Like that's the biggest problem that Cadeau runs into when he gets pressed. And you got to credit the way that, 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 like Miami pressed and trapped the way that you want to press and trap. They put their bigger guys on Carolina's smaller guys. Carolina's backcourt's tiny. It, it, it's why no one was, it, it's why it wasn't certain that it was going to work. Um, it has worked because A, they're, they're just that daggone good. B, is because they play, the, they, 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 they play their butts off. But I would have put in Trimble on the court. Over him because I I agree with that sentence. I I I want I want the size. I want the ability to see over the defense, make the passes, and also I trust Trimble more at the foul line. Um, and he's a better def- and look at Cadeau's improved mightily defensively. He's as good a freshman uh, guard defensively as I've ever seen. 
It's still not as good as well, Seth Trimble. Well, outside of Seth Trimble last year. So, um, but yeah, but Trimble didn't play the minutes that Cadeau played. Like, Trimble played six to eight minutes a game and played good defensively. There's no excuse for you to play. You're coming off the bench. By God, you better play defense. Uh, when you're a starter and you're a freshman, like, Kendall Marshall, liability defensively. Marcus Page, freshman, liability defensively. Ty Lawson, freshman, liability defensively. Raymond Felton, liability until Roy Williams showed up. So, um, and I don't want it to be misconstrued that I'm anti-Elliot Cadeau, but there's limitations in his game, and you expect that with a reclassified freshman. And so that's got to be an adjustment that Hubert's got to be willing to make. And, he, he, you know, he does take him out. You know, he only played 27 minutes last night. Mm-hmm. So he, he has done that. But um, this has got to be something where, you know, because they practice it. You, 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 you played under Coach Smith. You were mentored by Coach Williams. Four-minute offense is something you do every single day. And, and for this team to really do what we want them to do and what you expect them to do, you gotta, you got to get better at closing games out. Because you're not you're not going deep into March, not scoring a field goal the last four seventeen. Just not doing it. Um, and that's just the reality of the situation. The good news is is you've still got three re- regular season games to go. You've got a conference tournament to go um, to clean this up. And also you're you're still you're still competing defensively, and, and you're still doing for the most part. The three point defense last night was atrocious. Um, for as connected as they were on Saturday, they were as disconnected as they've been um, all all season long, especially in ACC play. Some of those three-pointers that Bensley Joseph dribbled into um, are inexcusable. And maybe you're not expecting that guy to get hot from three, but he's playing in the ACC. He's capable of doing that. You know George is going to jack up three-pointers. That's why the NBA loves him? He's going to be a prototypical NBA wing. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta pressure those guys, and so. Well, it was um, also their strength coming in. Like we mentioned it in the preview, we talked about it when they met when they met the first time that that was the way that they were going to stay in the game, and that's I, I, the first time I, I thought you know Omir in the first half was a difference maker inside this game. This is what's so frustrating. They were so great from the outside. They did nothing on the interior. Because Carolina, I thought, inside was great. They created how many turnovers in the first half. Their hands were incredibly active early on. I mean, they were deflecting just about everything when people were trying to get the ball inside. But the problem is is that Miami was able to hang around, and they did the same thing in the second half because all they had to do was continue to knock down threes. Their guys got in rhythm, but you're right. At some point, I mean, and maybe, I don't know, you might not be with me on this one. Just somebody close out. I get even if Joseph takes a deep three, close out, even if you pick up a foul, whatever, at least show him that, look, we are not going to let you just stand here and get whatever shot you want. That's just not happening tonight. Well, I mean, closing out is part of playing defense. You did it at a extremely high level 36 hours prior to the game last night. And this is another reality of the situation for Carolina. These quick turnarounds that are what you face when you get into the tournament, haven't Carolina's won, but they haven't played well in them. And, you know, that's why I don't gripe and complain about the Saturday-Mondays. 
is because you get into the tournament, it's Thursday, Saturday, or, or Friday, Sunday. And it's typically, you know, at, at a minimum, you've got 36 hours to prepare. This is great. This is great to get you ready for it. AC tournament, you, you play within 24 hours all three times. Got to get better at rebounding faster, taking care of your bodies, getting your get, get, getting your uh, getting your mentally you're, you're getting your mental taken care of, getting locked back again, and getting getting ready to go. Um, and that's just something that this team, as much as I love them, and as much as I'm still high on them, I still think this is the best team this league has to offer. I still think this team can make a Final Four. This team can still win a national championship, but they've got to play to a level that. Is as, cl- is as as close to their potential for forty minutes. They're not, they're not UConn, where UConn can play thirty seven minutes and beat you. They're not Purdue who can play thirty seven minutes and beat you. They're not Houston who can play thirty seven minutes and beat you. We got to get back to playing to as close to forty minutes as possible for all those things that we want this team to achieve and and an experience for them to come to fruition. Last thing, we'll end, we'll end with some fun. Um, I said in the open, that's the second best performance I've seen by a, a Carolina player by R.J. Davis. The only one that tops that is when Bryce Johnson gave 39 points and 23 rebounds to Florida State on the road. Um, to me, this is better than Harrison Barnes scoring 40 in the ACC tournament as a freshman against Clemson, um, and, and that performance was sensational. Um, you know, this is. To me, it was better than Marcus Page outdueling T.J. Warren at NC State. A highlight you see, you know, with his game-winning layup the, in, in the video edition of the pod when we go live from time to time. Like to me, R.J.'s performance surpassed that. Where does where does his performance rank uh, for you and what you've seen in your 15 plus years watching well, Carolina basketball? That, that's the thing. You have to preface the fact that we didn't. I mean, you might have. I did not see Tyler Hansborough score 40 in the Smith Center as a freshman. More than likely, I was playing my own game outside as a young child uh, during that time. But, I mean, yeah, I would probably still go Bryce because, I mean, it's just the all-around domination. And, I mean, just, you know, look, RJ had a great night overall last night, too. But for you to have 39 and 23 in a single game, I mean, look, I I, I don't know. I, I mean, I haven't dug into it. It might actually be an interesting thing to do sometime in the offseason and really make the case for who actually had the most dominant performance in Tariel basketball history. But Bryce's has to be up there. I mean, that is it, it's just unbelievable the type of performance that he put up in that game. And to do it on the road, too, at a Florida State team that at the time was, that that, that was still heyday of Leonard, Leonard Hamilton when that team was good year in, year out, is unbelievably impressive. But, yeah, this is, this is probably right behind it. I mean, yeah, maybe you go with Harrison Barnes in the ACC tournament because it was the ACC tournament. He was a freshman, and to score 40 points is unbelievable. I think it's probably... Yeah, I would probably lean Barnes over this one, but this one was amazing. And for it to come in the Smith Center, for them to be chanting his name, and for him basically to, because of everything that was around it, the fact that you know people were starting to 
talk a little bit about Hunter Salas potentially being the ACC Player of the Year and taking that award from him down the stretch of the season. For this to be the game that basically shuts up all that talk, I, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's just amazing, and it was a ton of fun to watch. But the thing is, is and maybe that's part of the reason why I have a third. You know, the way that the game finishes, it it it, it does take away from it a little bit because it definitely feels like this should have been a game that Carolina sort of was able to run away with if his teammates had just been able to give him a little more help. Yeah, I mean, the only way I think it would have been lessened was if Carolina got beat. Um, They didn't get beat. They won. Um, He scored 42. The rest of the team combined to score 33. Um, The difference in the first, the the leading score and the second leading score was 34 points. (laughs) That's the highest since 1957. Um, that just shows you just how dominant he was and how really ineffective the rest of the team was. But, um, yeah, like for me, like I said, I did not see Hansborough. Um, you know, I've, 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 I've watched the game. Like I've gone back and watched what he did in the game, but I didn't sit there and watch the game. It was the year, the year before I got into it. And it was the year before Carolina basketball became my life. So, um, I didn't see that. I, I remember the Barnes game. It was, it was ridiculous. It was nuts. Um, I remember the Bryce Johnson game because that game was was pretty big to that team. Last night, you hate that it came down to the way that it came down to, but had Carolina lost, we would have been talking about them, you know, maybe, you know, losing uh, an ACC regular season title, being, you know, maybe a three, maybe even a four seed in the NCAA tournament. But as of right now, they're still first place in the ACC and they're still in the hunt to get a one seed come Selection Sunday. So with that, guys, that's going to wrap up this edition of the show. Before we let you go, we do encourage you to visit the website, HeelToughBlog.com. You can go and uh, read about the win over Miami as Carolina improved to 22-6 and and 14-3 and in the ACC. I'll be back later in the week getting you ready for Carolina-NC State um, as I continue to take you through the basketball season. NFL Combine is underway. Anthony has you covered with all the guys out in uh, in attendance in Indianapolis as they look to uh, you know take the next step in their football journey. Just make sure you check the website every single day, HeelToughBlog.com, the latest Carolina basketball Tar Heel football coverage. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, it is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Do you want to thank Anthony for hosting with me? We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than.